Welcome to the Monday Morning Phone Call podcast. Every preacher knows when they're teetering on the edge of a topic that will result in receiving a phone call on Monday morning. Instead of backing away, this podcast exists to work through these polarizing ideas and spark conversation. In each episode, we'll be covering a different topic that we'll try to address with more nuance and depth than we might be able to in a weekend service. Hopefully, it sparks more in-depth dialogue with your friends, family, coworkers, and neighbors. Hi, we're the hosts of the show. I'm Paul Joslin. And I'm Melissa Frisbee. This season of the Monday Morning Phone Call Podcast, we're exploring the effects of having too much of a good thing. Here in the U.S., we live in a culture that encourages us to be independent, strive for personal success, achieve happiness, all through the path of least resistance. Is this the life we're called to seek? A life pursuing our American idols? Today, we're exploring our tendency to obtain or keep power. Whether this power is within our jobs, relationships, or socioeconomic status, we are hardwired to strive for it. Then, once we have it, we tend to approach life out of a fear of losing it. Let's dive in. All right, so today we are talking about the idol of power in episode three on our series on idolatry. And Alyssa, uh, just to start us off, where have you seen the idol of power recently? In, I've actually seen it in the highbrow show, maybe you've heard of it, uh, The Bachelorette. I have heard rumor of this show. Rumor. Yeah, you yeah, will yeah. not admit to ever right. seeing no. any of it or watching any no. of it? I mean, a few years ago, Steffi and I got on a kick where we watched like three seasons in a row, and then that was a, it, that's probably been about six or seven years ago. So I, I'm, <laughs> I'm familiar with the uh, format, let's say that. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. That's you, fair. You've seen it in this power at play in this show? Yeah. Um, so I... Watch it semi regularly. Okay, gotcha. Um, More recently than the last five years. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay, perfect. Um, and actually, something very interesting happened yeah. um, on the first episode of this this new season of The Bachelorette. Okay. Michelle, can you give just like a very brief premise for anyone listening who maybe hasn't? I mean, I, I sure. Don't know. Yeah. People so The Bachelorette. Yeah. The whole premise. Um, it is one woman. Sometimes okay. There's also The Bachelor, so the last sure. one, it's a guy. Men. Uh, she has 35 men that are vying for her. 35? Yes, for her love. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot, That's right? a lot of people. Yeah, there's a lot of testosterone. And they are all, and again, they- That's they like all half s- a football team. That I did not know that it was 35 <laughs> really? people. You that's didn't crazy. Know? Yeah, it's a lot yeah. of dudes. Okay. Um. And a lot of times she doesn't even get to talk to them all in the yeah, first rate, right, right? Because you? it's there's so many people. Yeah. Um, so they all again are telling her, like, I am here for love, I want to love you, and that that right. is they have pure intentions. Sure. In reality, what <laughs> is true, um, and obviously we will talk about human nature and, and how power comes out in that yeah. is the majority of guys realize that they could find love, but they're actually there to become influencers. Got it. Do you Because they're know- realizing the odds of being one of 35 yeah. with one lady is not like the best yeah. way to find love. Do you want to do, do the math on that no, for me? No, for sure don't want to do okay. any math, but <laughs> okay. I just can tell you those odds are not great. <laughs> okay, one cool. in 35 is bad. <laughs> That's fair. Um, so in reality, they're more likely to... Um, be an influencer. Do okay. you know what an influencer is? I am aware that? of that. Yeah. So they do things on social media to make money and <laughs> influence people. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I'm it, so I'm so with it with all of these things. Yeah. This so is like hip. my friend is you you help me 
know these things. <laughs> it feels like there's a bigger age gap <laughs> between us it's right true. now than there actually yeah, is. Yeah, it's true. Um, well, Grandpa, is that what the youth yeah, used to call the, you? Grandpa. Yeah, that's called me. <laughs> um, uh, so an influencer yeah. is someone typically on Instagram or TikTok, if okay. you're real young, yeah. um, that promotes items that they like do ads and that's how they make money. So however many people are following them, they proportionally... Make, make more money. money. How is um, that different than what I said? I said mm, social media and money. Okay, well, I'll <laughs> Those are the two ideas. <laughs> help you. Okay. Um, so once you get a certain, so I think yeah. it's 10,000 followers. Okay. You get something called the swipe up where you can link items. And not only can you make money off of what people um, purchase, but you also can um, do advertisements for other things sure. where you'd get like a set amount of money. So the more people you have following you, the more money that you make. And so a lot of these contestants go on the show. Just to, to try to become that. Exactly, to become influencers and to have control mm. slash power. power. Wow, nice segue there. Over that was good. people. <laughs> um, and so, it, but the, at least on the show, you cannot admit that that's why you're there because right. otherwise you are shunned, you yeah. are kicked off, and that is what happened on the first So it's kind of like episode. an unspoken known thing. Everybody's mm. on the same page, but we can't name it because then that would like, Cause the whole facade of the contest exactly, to fall. That we're not actually like here for love. Right, sure. Um, so Which yeah. then would cause middle aged women to be less invested in the storyline. Or <laughs> young 31 year old you're not women. In, you're not in it for the love part. No, you're, I'm not. Yeah, you're in it for the drama. Oh, right? ab- absolutely. Okay, yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that is where I have seen okay. um, power. So, how specifically. Has that played out this season, or because you said that that you, that's where you saw it recently? Was yeah. This so in this first episode, sorry guys, this is a long script from the that's Bachelorette. Great. It's a good um, intro. Yeah, we'll give people a link to like <laughs> skip ahead to actual yeah. content. Um, this season, a guy specifically brought to his hotel suite a dossier <laughs> of information <laughs> of how to get more airtime, how to not be a villain, okay, how, which so she's a gotcha. teacher, Michelle's a teacher. And he had notes specifically about like, sound like you're interested in what she does. Like, that's so Which weird. is just like a good note in general. Like if you want someone to like you, like yeah. just be interested. <laughs> but I love that he had to write that down, yeah. that he was that like terrible of a human. Oh, that's a bad way. He, yeah. He was that interested in power. Exactly. Right. And that. so he had this whole like dossier that ended up, Michelle ended up finding wow, it. Of course. I'm sure with some, yeah, you know, help production from, help. Mm-hmm. Um, and sh- he got kicked out, even though my favorite part is that he they were in his room and she made him like leave the party and sit out in the parking lot by himself for the rest of the party. Wow. Um, so just kind of like a cone of shame type exactly, situation. Exactly, like we're just right. going to set you aside. Wow. <laughs> exactly. Um, That's a power move too. <laughs> right, isn't it? Which like, I get it. You got to kind of make heads roll the first first night to for people to know you're serious. Yeah, so, fair. Yeah. All right, so that uh, that's probably one of our longest intros ever. And for those who don't know uh, anything about The Bachelor, hopefully it kind of helps segue into this idea of, of the idol of power. Mm-hmm. Because really, I, I think it is a, a good example because we see the idol of power at play so many places in mm-hmm. our culture. Like it's just so prevalent that it can even be present in a reality TV show. Um, but I even, it was, I was thinking about it this week, like even when you look at like Marvel movies or something, in mm. a lot of ways, it's it's like the idol of power. Like we long for these people who are incredibly powerful, superhuman strength, whatever it might be, to save the day and, and to be in control of things and, and to be able to fight back against bad. Like 
power is just everywhere. Um, and so I know we kind of touched on it a little bit in the idol of control because they're, they're kind of linked. Mm-hmm. Um, but could you maybe give us a, a definition for the idol of power as we kind of get started today so everybody could kind of have an idea of, of what we're talking about as we start? Absolutely. Again, using that same definition from the first episode, that power is control over what Um, people do versus choice is control over your own outcomes. And so power really is based off of our dynamics with other people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know if you'd necessarily um, think that initially when you think about power. I think so often people think about that it is money or military might, but I think all of those things, you can think of exceptions for those things. Um, But so in reality, power is about having control or um, influence over other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say that they are two separate types of power okay. um, that you, we can kind of see that there is this coercive power that can be, you know, my, more of the like military might. Mm. Um, but there also is that like social or reputational power, sure, yeah. which is what um, the contestants of The Bachelorette are trying yeah. to do, right? They're trying to ha- be literally an influencer. They're yeah. trying to influence people um, to do the things that they have been paid money to encourage them to do. This is another example, but I can't believe I'm going to go there. But like the whole movie Mean Girls is yeah. like about that, right? Mm-hmm. Or like there's so many different examples we could pull from, but that that social um, power based on reputation or based on influence or based on how you can kind of control outcomes for other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we've all, like whether it's Mean Girls or, or just high school, you see power dynamics yeah. at play. People who are part of certain clubs are like excluded from <laughs> society as it were, or uh, in Texas, if you're on the football team, then you're like amazing and everybody, mm. would, you know, so that we see power have a lot of different ways that, that people can obtain power. It doesn't just have to be through money or might, as you were saying, but through people's values, um, really. And I, I think one of the the things to note is that power in and of itself is neutral, yeah. right? Like power is not good or bad. Um, we need power. Power helps create structures and systems for people to flourish and, mm-hmm. and um, can be used for good. Uh, but because we lived in, live in a fallen world, oftentimes power is corrupted. And, and with power, um, a lot of times people are driven to places that, that go against God's will and God's design, which is where it kind of becomes that idol of power, as we've, we've talked about. Um, so when you think of power to to kind of bring it down to to terms, what are some of the like structures or ways we see power play out um, in good and bad ways in the world? Yeah, absolutely. So I think even from birth, we see those power relationships, meaning between two people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, from the beginning. So right in our family, that we have parents over kids in a workplace, we have. Mm you know, a boss over individual workers. Um, And like you were just talking about, power in itself is good. It's even in Genesis before Mm. the fall that Adam and Eve had dominion over the animals. It was a God-given structure and system Mm -hmm. that was created that humanity should rule with God over his creation and have power over that. And even within Adam and Eve, there was a, a different power dynamics of as far as how they they helped one another and worked with one another, and not that they were unequal. It was it was like a perfect balance of power, mm-hmm. but the way that that God created it was for humanity to rule and reign with Him uh, in the beginning of creation together. And so we have a, a biblical model of how it's supposed to work, but then things kind of break down, unfortunately. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and I think it, the relationships like between 
to individual people, that feels very tangible, right? Yeah. Like we can understand what that power dynamic looks like because sure. it um, because it's just with two people. Yep. But I, I think when it gets more nuanced, if yeah. you will, is when it goes to like structures or institutions. Right. So the fact is, is that I am not necessarily directly connected to someone, yeah. but we have a power dynamic just based off of the institution or structure yeah. that we're a part of. Yeah, just the way society functions and yes. works. Like certain people are given more power than others. And a lot of times that does have to do with value or worth or or things that are even tangible like money or, or positions of authority and stuff. But if you think about it, it it's really like, I, I think of it in the way that we might think of a, a pilot or an air traffic controller. So a pilot has direct direct power and influence over your life. When you're on his plane or her plane, um, they're flying you somewhere. It's all in their hands, their authority, their power, how you get to that destination. Um, an air traffic controller has an equal amount of power and influence over you, but it's way less direct. It's way more indirect in that they're kind of directing all traffic, all planes, all systems to make pe sure people get to where they want to go. We never see that person. We don't even really think about that person when we're flying. But that's kind of the way that, that power breaks down is there are certain people in our lives, like maybe a supervisor or someone that, you know, mayor of a city that has kind of direct power over us. Um, but then there's also just systems and structures in place that we may not even see that have influence over our lives and in relationship to power dynamics and how those play out. Absolutely. And we hope that that air traffic controller is having our best interests at <laughs> sure, heart and yeah, like yeah. wants our plane um, to land safely. Yeah. Yep. Um, so can you maybe talk a little bit more about what you see is like a healthy power structure or institution? Yeah, so I think it's interesting. Scripture talks a lot about power. So when it, when it talks about like sin, um, it really kind of boils down to three major areas that you see different characters in the Bible struggling with, with sin. And, and one of those um, is is money. One of those is often violence. And then one of those is often uh, power and mm -hmm. authority. And so there's a lot the Bible has to say about power and how we treat power, how we use power. Um, I, I think of some of the, the more healthy examples that you see, like in Acts 2, when this new community of believers has been formed, and what it says is that they are sharing with one another everything that they have in common. Um, and what you really see is kind of a dissipation of the, the hierarchy and structures of society. And so men and women are treated equally, slaves and free are treated equally, people who are... are um, more ostracized in society or welcomed into the community. You see this breakdown of power um, where people are, are sharing power with one another in order to, to kind of bring about human flourishing. Um, I think you can also see in Scripture the ways that poverty plays it. So like an example, I, I think, where power is often seen is, is between rich and poor. Um, just inherently across most societies, the wealthier you are, the more power you are, have the, the, the poorer you are, the less power you have. Um, scripture kind of turns that paradigm on its head a little bit in that it says, if um, there's a lot of reasons people could be poor, so it could be just the reality that the world is broken and fallen. And so things happen. There's a Bible verse in Proverbs that says, you might do everything right, plan everything the way you're supposed to, and the winds and rains can come and wash it away and you, you end up in poverty. Um, the world is broken and things go wrong, and so people are, are poor. There's also an understanding that sometimes people are poor because of how they've been treated by other people. And so there's a level of the oppression and people hoarding for themselves and, and taking advantage of other people 
creates power structures and, and um, poverty. And then there's also an acknowledgement that some people are just uh, make poor choices. And um, Proverbs <laughs> talks about the people who are, are lazy, that they'll probably end up in, in poverty. And, and so when you look at all three of those different dynamics, what's fascinating is that throughout Scripture, beginning to end, so if, whether you look in the Levitical law, whether you look in the prophets, whether you look at, at even the life of Jesus or the early church, the expectation for those who follow God is the same and that those who are in power, if they're poor that are in their community, the, the people who are in power, it is their responsibility to alleviate and fix um, the problem. And so there's this understanding in Scripture that power is not something to, to be hoarded and tried to like maintain, but that's supposed to be used for the benefit um, of others. Absolutely. When, so I, yeah, what, what I hear you saying is that if you have power, you also have the responsibility to take care of the society as a whole. Yeah. As Peter Parker's uncle said, <laughs> I can't believe we're going here, but with great power comes responsibility. Oh, so good. Really? I used that in, um, as my first line of a paper in high school. <laughs> Um, and I did get a smiley face next to it. Nice. So there you go. I'll Perfect. Give you one too. I mean, it's deep. Yeah. It, it still resonates. Mm-hmm. Good old Peter Parker. Right. But, and I and I think oftentimes people, if they are raised to power in a healthy structure, it's because they have earned it or been deemed worthy. Like sure. you were saying, that it's like they, you know, are smarter, they are stronger, that they um, have that emotional intelligence mm-hmm. to be able to take care of the group as a whole. Um, yep. And that's obviously what we are striving for. But unfortunately, like you said, we live in a fallen world and that is not the case. Yeah. And so we don't actually see very many examples um, in in our world of healthy structures of power in the way that people treat power. Uh, We tend to just see it a lot more in the broken systems. And so you could look at politics or you could look at um, even probably the place you work and you can understand (laughs) their unhealthy power (laughs) dynamics or or whatever that might be. Um, Because our our relationship to power is is broken and flawed. Um, And I think one thing we have to talk about is that the reason so much of our our relationship to power is is broken is because the root of the idol of power is really, I think, found in in fear Mm -hmm. and in a desire for security and a desire for protection and to... We live in a world that's broken and we recognize that and we recognize the way to get ahead in that world or to to care for ourselves is to have some level of power. If people have power over me, then they can dictate whether or not I'm safe or not. Um, And so a lot of people feel this fear of what might happen in the world. And so the way that they can protect themselves is by trying to get as much power as they can. And that unfortunately leads to a lot of broken systems because that's because of the fall we were not meant to be in power. We're, we're supposed to give power away or recognize that God is the one in control and, and has power. So we see these broken structures in our broken relationship to power. Well, and it seems very clear that if we do have that power, um, that we're supposed to take care of those people that aren't in power, right? right? That yep. I think of like the holy quartet, the yeah. immigrant, mm-hmm. the poor, um, the widow, and the orphan, yeah. that so many times throughout scripture, we are told to to look after them and take care of them because yep. they are oppressed or the lowest of our society. Mm-hmm. That that is something that 
is talked about so much more than most themes in the Bible, yeah, right? Is sure. that it's like we are called um, to use our power mm-hmm. um, in that way and, and give it to those people to help raise them up. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and it, it's the idea that the, the Bible is just clearly acknowledging that there are power dynamics at play, that certain people have mm-hmm. more power, certain people have less power. And, and that's really like when it comes down to it, the whole story of Exodus is a story about power. Who has power? Is it God, Yahweh, or is it Pharaoh? And mm-hmm. how do they use power? And so Pharaoh's introduced as someone who is in power of over really like kind of the idea of the, the whole known world at that time. And he uses power to, um, to, to kill, to enslave, um, to try to, to commit genocide. And so the story of Exodus is God using his power, the 10 plagues, and this, this incredible display of power to put um, the systems of this world on display and to, to break them down and cause them to not function anymore. And so we there's this tension throughout Scripture with, with how people use power, how it's been co-opted and taken away, um, and how God is kind of trying to... to uh, alleviate some of those power structures and, and the the tension and bring a space where people are allowed to flourish a little more fully. And so you see when he pulls the people out of slavery from Pharaoh, uh, there's this whole conversation at the mountain about how they'll treat people in poverty or how they'll mm-hmm. treat people who have been enslaved or that you won't have slaves and you'll let them go free um, after a certain amount of time because you know what it was like to be a slave. And so there's this continual return to because you've been the people who have, have not had power, you need to be people who give that power away and don't hoard it for yourselves and, and use that power to alleviate suffering and poverty and, and hardship and, and the hurting and brokenness that we see in the world. Well, that's so fascinating because that directly links with um, some research from uh, his name is not it's D A C H E R Docker Keltner. We'll say it like that. Um, and, uh, so he is a professor at UC Berkeley, and his, I think we just need to pause for a second because this is the first time in the history of the podcast where you couldn't pronounce the word, and well, I don't know how to say it either. But <laughs> I was going to say you do it then, yeah. Docker yeah, Keltner. Yeah, great. Yeah, I you do just think gotta, that's how it is. You but just got to say it with confidence, and then people won't question it. Maybe. Dr. Keltner. Yeah, there you go. Got it. Um, So he is a professor at UC Berkeley, and his entire research is on power. Mm. Um, And one of his shocking findings is that once you feel powerful, um, you actually forget or are blind to how others feel. Oh, interesting. Right? And so it really made me think a lot of what you're talking about with Pharaoh, that because he was born in Mm. this... um, place of power that he was not able to empathize or to think about how others are being treated. Mm. And because the Israelites were in a place of um, less power, that they continue to remind themselves, if we're going to be in power, we need to always remember what is Mm. going on with other people. Again, it's just so interesting that if we feel powerful. It's not even if you are powerful, but if you feel powerful, you are less interested in other people' um, ethics. You're more likely to cheat, to win money. Oh, that it's just like you, your connection almost to morality is a little bit severed. Interesting. So there's kind of an idea: the more power you have, um, the less obligation you have towards others, or that you're kind of above the rules. That you have the freedom to kind of use your power to keep gaining more influence and power, and you, you're not tied to the same rules that other people have? Exactly, wow. yeah. That it's And again, they've done it in studies around the world. It, so it kind of transcends culture, transcends demographics. Exactly. Race, age, 
um, wow. country that, I mean, and I guess I'm not sure how many, like, not first world countries they did the things, sure. to be fair. Um, but it, it's even in these, like, little situations, right? If they gave a person power in a small group that they kind of made them the leader and they brought in a plate of cookies, that person would always be the one to take, like, the second cookie. Like, no, like... There was just no hesitation, like, yeah. oh, I'm, I'm in charge. I get I get more cookies. Yeah. Like, is <laughs> that why? Like, yeah, just even in this, like, microcosm. Mm. Um, and so I think it is so important for us to remember that feeling powerful makes us feel self-focused. Yeah. But also, it can happen to anyone, that it does transcend all of the other categories. Yeah. Um, and so to make sure that we are very cognizant mm. um of where we have power in our own lives. No, I think that's really good because I, I, and so important to say that this this idol of power can just touch anyone, mm-hmm. and that the the human heart is really so c- corrupt that even the best of us, if we come into contact with power, it can corrupt. And and I even like it's making me think of the story of David, right? The person who is a man after God's own heart. And what you see throughout his story is the more power he acquires, um, the less he utilizes it for the the causes of the kingdom of God. And so he ends up in a place where he uses his power to steal another man's wife, rape her, and then kill her husband. Um, and it causes this huge um, tension in the the people of God because God says, you were my man of power and you were corrupted and misused it and abused um, that authority and power. And, and he's the person who's after God's own heart. And so you just see again and again and again, people in scripture, who come into contact with power, who are given power, who earn power, who are born into it, whatever, and it it almost universally corrupts and changes the the dynamic and character of who they are, which is really scary when you right? think about it. Yeah. What I think one of again more of his research is that if we look to people with more power, hmm. we feel less powerful. But sure. if we look to people with less power, we feel more powerful. Hmm. And so I think it really puts in perspective how important it is, I guess, to from what your perspective is, yeah. right? That there will always be someone who has more power than mm. you and um, more money, more influence. Sure. And if we are always kind of looking up the stream at that person, then we will always feel less powerful and also, I think, feel... Um, Slighted, sure, right? Yeah. Well, and I think you feel more fear because yes. you feel like the world is outside of your control and it rests in someone else's hands. And so there's a, a natural distrust or, or fear of what they might do with their power and how they might treat you or what they might make you do or whatever it might be. Absolutely. But yeah. we are, but there will also always be someone who is downstream mm. from us who has less power. And it is so clear that that is the direction that Jesus wants us to yeah. look, that he is not focused on us looking upstream and trying to figure out who is trying to take away, you know, my freedoms and who's Mm. trying to control me, that it is, we are supposed to turn our backs to that and Mm. focus downstream um, at the people who have less power. Um, And so I think, I think to put power in perspective, he did, uh, Keltner did this study where, um, a pedestrian was at a crosswalk, like Mm -hmm. at a pedestrian walking zone. So they had the right of way to 
to walk across the street. Um, and they were, and they, you know, changed again, the age, the gender, all these things of the pedestrian. Right. So it's not like, Oh, like it's a babe. These I'm certain gonna, people like, are awful. Or, yeah, exactly. Whatever. Right. Yeah. Um, and then there was a student hiding in the bushes um, <laughs> who would code the status of the cars coming up. Okay. Meaning based off of their make, their model um, and their appearance on a scale of one to 10, what the status was. Hmm. Um, so, like, a one was a Ford Pinto or a Dodge <laughs> Plymouth, right? Um, Thanks for not saying a Kia Rio, which I drove for, like, nine years. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. I just left that one off. Yeah, it's fine. Um, and a, a five was, like, luxury okay. cars. So, Mercedes, Lexus. Yeah. All of those. All those super nice ones. That, exactly, yeah. right? Um, so, and they would see all these cars, Um if the cars would leak, stop where mm. they lawfully were supposed to, to let the pedestrian cross, zero percent of the stat, like uh, level one or poor cars, yeah, um, drove through the cross- crosswalk. So oh, all so the they people all stopped for the person. Yes, at the- exactly. So all of the Ford Pintos, the Dodge Plymouths. Can you tell that these are the only cars I wrote down because I don't know other <laughs> don't know cars, beaters. That's okay. The beater cars um, stopped to let the pedestrian go by. Um, but 46% of the status five cars hmm. drove through, so did not stop okay, for so the al- pedestrian. Almost half of people who were in the highest level of car just felt like no obligation to, to stop when they were lawfully expected to exactly, stop. Exactly, wow. right? So, and again, these are people with luxury cars, uh-huh. but even the status four cars, which were like Honda Accords, mm. 45% of them did not stop. Wow. So, so there the was, top two, mm-hmm, wow. Did not, so in, in their minds, if you have a, even a semi-nice car, you will not stop for a pedestrian because in in your mind, you have more power yeah. or are more important hmm. than this p- pedestrian. And so I think- That's fascinating. Right? Isn't that crazy? And so I think in my mind, that made me very aware of how much power I sure. have, right? That like <clears throat> I drive a Subaru Ascent. <laughs> Um, that's my flex, Uh, (laughs) my mom car. (laughs) Um, and I certainly would be in, I think level four. uh Um, and so that means that that is my cohort and that is where I would be apt, um, to feel about power that I like shouldn't stop with this pedestrian because I'm more important and need to like go somewhere. The other thing that that study makes me think too, is that we, so that's a, an interesting way to kind of scale people on on levels of of power influence, but we tend to always think we have less power influence than we do. Right. And so we think, Oh, well, I only drive like a, but you know, whatever it is, a Subaru Ascent. Did yeah. you say? Yeah. Yes. And so most people would be like, oh, that's probably like level two or three. Or, but mm-hmm. And we we tend to downgrade our level of power, assume that we have less wealth or less influential or less powerful than we actually think. Um, and again, if you go back to that systems illustration with like the flight traffic controller, um, if we don't realize the level of power we have in that kind of seat or the systems and people that we're connected to, and we can actually end up causing a lot of damage inadvertently. Yeah. Um, and I do think, I, I think this might touch on some buttons for people, but as Americans, as people in, in one of the most powerful nations in the world, the most wealthy nations in the world, the most educated nations in the world, we have to recognize that we do have a level of power in these systems that even if we can look upstream and think, oh, well, there's the, the president, there's the judicial system, there's, a, mm-hmm. you know, all these people who are higher up than us, there's Jeff Bezos of the world. <laughs> like, <laughs> Yes, there are people who are more powerful, but if you look, down, there's a whole lot more people downstream from us yeah. um, that that don't have as much power or influence or wealth, and those are the people 
we need to be mindful of as the people of God. Um, and those are the people we're called to look for and to have some awareness around the level of power and influence that, mm-hmm. that we do have. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that idol comes into play when we we assume we need more power than we already have. And so we do what we can to grasp or try to like move upstream and try to get that for ourselves. Absolutely. And Keltner specifically talked about Abraham Lincoln who, Great dude. Right? <laughs> um, and we all feel that way, right? Because yeah. he, even though he obviously had a really short presidency, um, spoiler if no one knew that, um, <gasps> but he uh, he was not wealthy. He was kind of awkward mm. is my understanding. But he rose to power because people felt when they were with him, they felt heard and seen mm. and that he was really intentional about um, – having those one-on-one interactions with people. Mm. But even when he rose to power, he was so aware of literally two warring sides mm. and um, understanding how to respect both sides, mm. all the people, how to have dignity of people. Mm. Kind of our first probably president to really do that, yeah. to understand the slaves and what was going on, but also understand the systems that they were a part of and how mm. can we... Um, navigate that well. Yeah. And so good leaders or people who are in power that wield it well um, are committed to that greater good and committed to the respect, but also um, really keep close with the suffering hmm. of those people who are in less power. Yeah. Um, and again, this researcher was like not a Christian, like didn't doesn't have that perspective, mm. but I, I feel like I just hear Jesus in that so yeah. much. Is that Abraham, Abraham Lincoln kept close to the suffering mm-hmm. of people, and we are called yeah. um, to keep close to the suffering yeah. um, of people. Yeah, I think that's fascinating because he he really is kind of one of the only uh, people in history that that you can just point to, and it seems to have universal like acclaim or yeah. like very high approval rate, um, and a lot of that being grounded in in his empathy in way he didn't allow power to to go to his head or and people would maybe make arguments against that but um i think what what you see in the character about his stories is is someone who was uh using power for others but able to see both sides of really intense heated debate and argument um and and cause people to 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 try to come together um and i i think that like kind of segues a little bit into it to maybe where we'll begin wrapping up a little bit but because it really is so rare in human history uh to see uh people who have power give power away like we just tend to even if you look at people within your own life the more power we have the more above the rules we feel the more uh, we feel like we are able to to just kind of do what we want that things yeah. don't apply to us um take the cookie take the cookie yeah exactly <laughs> and yeah i think that is what is so key about the person of jesus is that he is someone who uh, had all the power, all authority in heaven mm-hmm. and on earth, it says about him, that he, while he was walking this earth, um, performed miracles and, and displayed some power, but did way less than he actually could have to overturn systems and structures and, and power dynamics. I mean, he lived in one of the most violent empires of all time. And yet his way of gaining power um, was and influence was through loving people and yeah. through um, underutilizing his power and through using his power for the sake of others. And it makes me think of the passage in Philippians 2 
where uh, it kind of talks about Jesus' relationship to power. And I'm just going to read it as kind of a an anchor point for this conversation as we kind of go into some application. But um, this is what it, it says of Jesus and, and how it sh- his example should, should change and influence us. He says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one spirit and of one mind. Do nothing of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, which again gets to that idea of power. Mm-hmm. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And, and I love that because you see this turning over of the power systems and structures that Jesus is elevated and receives power and is is praised and acknowledged as Lord of everything because he gave away power and that yeah. he's really the only one to ever do that um, and to to accept that um, fate and step into that um, disposition. Uh, so how do we do that, Paul? Well, that's a great question. <laughs> um, be like Jesus. <laughs> done. No, yeah. Done. yeah, I mean, so I think uh, there's a couple of things we could probably talk about. One, and we've kind of touched on it in a few different places, but I, I do think it's about growing in awareness mm. of our levels of power and influence and, and not assuming that we don't have as much power as we think we do. Um, it's kind of like an honest acknowledgement of the power and influence and, and responsibility. Um, again, I, I love that illustration used of not looking upstream to where we feel like, well, we have less than those people, so we're okay. Uh, but looking downstream and seeing the, the people further down uh, the hierarchy or the social structure and, and how we can maybe help them. And I think that uh, that's something that's really hard for us to do. It's not yeah. natural. Um, none of us wants to uh, think that we ha- have more power than we do or uh, I think there's a, a part of humanity that really likes to play the victim in some of these yeah. ways, and, and not that there are not ways we've been mistreated or that power's been misused against us. Um, but I think that that sometimes we allow uh, our seeming lack of power to to cause us to not see the ways that we actually do have power and influence over other people. And so how can we grow an awareness of, of just those power dynamics in our lives, I think, is is really important. Because I do, I think it's so much easier to just look upstream and say, sure. like, oh, nothing I can do. Like, I will never yeah. be Jeff Bezos. Right. Um, Amazon I'll kind never of has. Fly to the moon. Exactly. Amazon, you know, it kind of has the market. So, yep. you know, I just have to be stuck here. Um, and it takes so much more work to pivot and to turn downstream and, and to figure out how to use the power that you've been mm-hmm. given. To help others. And yeah. and again, not that you, you know, want to continue to like stay above them, but you help figure out how to lift them up out of their yeah. situation. Yeah. Um, that just takes so much more it does. work. And I and I and I don't uh. think that that is 
that is not an American idol, right? Like that is not a part <laughs> sure. of our culture to, yeah. to, to It's do not that. a value. Yeah. Exactly. And I think the second part of that, one way that we can grow in awareness and, and maybe like a sep- second application point is uh, asking the question, um, who is not in power? And, and I know you've talked about this before, but um, I think that question is, is a hard one for us to navigate because again, we're so good at centering ourselves. So yeah. when we say, ask yourself, like, really consider who is not in power in America. You immediately think your tribe, your people, mm. your group, your, like, demographic. Um, and we can come up with all sorts of reasons why other people have the narrative of culture, the power structures in in culture. And, and so I love what you said is that we can't vote for ourselves when we <laughs> ask this question, right? So, to, like, grow in, in awareness, uh, asking who really is in power and who's not in power um, – can't vote for yourself in that space. And I think that's a great way to kind of grow in, in some of this. Absolutely. And I, and I think then thirdly, after you figure out who is not in power, how can you position yourself to be close to that suffering? Mm. Because they're really, if, if you are not in power in America, you are suffering. And I don't feel like that is a dramatic Mm -hmm. um, word to use. And I think because we live in Littleton and Mm. in Colorado, in the suburb that we that suffering is at arm's length. Yeah. Um, you know, and that doesn't mean that Waterstone needs to like move its entire camp campus to Denver, you know, that sure. there is still is suffering around us. Mm-hmm. And so how can we be close to those people and be intentional and um even if it takes more time and effort out yeah. of our day to really seek that out. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it, it's the power of proximity, right? And yeah. that we're so good at, because we have some level of power that we can kind of control who is around us. I know uh, Nick tells this story a lot, but there was a pastor one time who was taken to a third world country. And as he was being driven through kind of the slums on his way to his resort, uh, the the driver like pulls the window down the shade so that he doesn't have to see the poverty going on out there, right? Like there's a level at which we can choose not to see and to ignore um, some of the different ways that, that people are suffering because of the power dynamics and structure in the world. And so it's so important for us to to not be people who pull the blinds closed, but to, to kind of keep our eyes open and, um, and look at those things and see how we can actually step into who God's called us to be and to alleviate some of that. Because I do, I think that that discomfort is what causes change, yeah. right? That I mean, kind of like what <clears throat> mm-hmm. Keltner's research is, is that if you are more separate, that you are not going to think about yeah. those people. And so it is so important to physically put yourself in proximity yeah. um, and so that your heart will be changed. Because I think also another piece of human um, nature is that we want to be comfortable. Yeah. And so if we're in an uncomfortable situation, um, we want to fix it, whether we, which is the easiest option is to yeah. remove ourselves. But what is better and good is to change the situation that you're, um, that is happening around yeah, you. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think it keeps us grounded too. Yeah. Um, maybe the the last thing I'll say about this is one area I've, I've kind of had to learn, and this is, is with doing pastoral care, in mm-hmm. that there's sometimes where being a pastor, you feel like a, a super generalist, like there's not ever one thing you're doing. You've, there's a lot of different things, kind of busy, whatever. And when people come in and need prayer and care, you have to stop all your to-do lists and, and meet with someone. 
um, and and see where they're at. And there's this one particular person I, I meet with who every time I meet with her, I feel like, oh gosh, I don't want to have to do mm. this again. I don't like have the time for this. It's always a long conversation. It feels like the same conversation every time. Um, and then after we talk for about 20 to 30 minutes, we sit and we pray together. And it's always the most grounding moment of my week. Oh. And it happens almost weekly, but I'll pray for her. She often prays for me. Mm. It's one of the best like prayers that I have um, in the week. And it's that reminder that even this person who um, is honestly poor and, and, and marginalized and doesn't have a position of, of any kind of authority, um, and I could, in my power, just choose to like pass off or ignore or whatever, it's a very grounding moment to say, no, like this is, is part of the area where having proximity to people who are different than us um, or have less power than us actually is where it changes and transforms and causes us to hopefully become more like Christ and reflect his relationship to power. Yeah. That's awesome that she is your minister, <laughs> right? She is, yeah. But actually, yeah. though, mm-hmm. and that's often what happens is we think we're offering some, like when we have power and we're offering it to people who don't have power, we think, oh, we're going to change the world. No, what often happens is they end up changing us yeah. and, and, and revealing our blind spots or our areas where we need to grow and become more like Christ, which um, I think is the beauty of what Christ calls us to when he calls us to give up power. So He like knew what he was talking about or something. Turns out, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we hope this conversation uh, on power was helpful. Um, we know it's uh, maybe a little bit more abstract, but hopefully as you kind of think through some of these takeaways, you could grow in awareness or asking who is in power ways you can be in proximity to people who don't have power that it can challenge you and encourage you to grow uh, more like Jesus. Thank you for listening to the Monday Morning Phone Call podcast. We hope that this show will spark conversation and that you'll share this episode with a friend. Join us on Instagram at Waterstone CC and Facebook at Waterstone Church to continue the conversation and share your thoughts and opinions with us. This podcast is hosted by me, Paul Joslin, and Alyssa Frisbee. Today's show was edited and mixed by Luke McCready, produced by Emily Kloss, and the graphic was designed by Lane Gerking. We'll be back in two weeks with our final episode of American Idols.